Craig Bennett, Mr. Paul Turner, and Dr. Douglas Crawford-Brown. Thank you very much indeed for talking to the Cambridge Judge Business School podcast series today. The title of your alumni seminar was There's No Business Case for Business as Usual. Craig, can we start with you and ask why? If you really look at the combination of challenges that we face this century, whether it be climate change, whether it be biodiversity loss and breakdown of ecosystem services, or whether it be the need to really address uh, poverty and the growing difference between rich and poor globally and within countries, that is a context that absolutely sets new challenges for business uh, this century from the last century. And any business that does not put the proper mechanisms in place to be able to uh, deal with those challenges and indeed the opportunities that result from the, the change that will be needed to address them uh, will suffer as a result. Paul, do you agree? I, I would say I do. A rapid globalisation and an increase, the increasing population are placing unprecedented demands on natural resources. Now, the need for sustainable development presses on all of the levers of value creation for business, and so the business case is changing. Douglas, is the business case changing? I, I, I think it is, simply because, as was mentioned, the, the, the scale of material and energy use in human economies now has grown so large that we're now the drivers of many of the processes that we thought in the past were just completely natural processes. We now find we're, we're, we're as much a, a, a part of these processes as our natural cycles. And, and uh, Craig, what have we got to do to ensure that business does change? What is the case for change? Well, I think for every company, they need to really make sure that they are looking at every part of the business through a sustainability lens. And there's all sorts of things that companies could and should be doing to address their operations, their products, their knowledge management, their staff recruitment, and so on. Uh, But for me, what really matters is the long-term business model and strategy and indeed how business can work with governments to put the bold regulatory frameworks in place to fundamentally change uh, the context in which business is operating because it's only by changing those long-term regulatory frameworks that business will be allowed to operate in a way uh, that is truly sustainable. You emphasised strategy, didn't you? Absolutely. I mean, you know, if you look at... uh, There's a big example of many companies that have done very well over the last few years. I I used uh, the example of Nokia, which used to be a forest products company, but it thought outside the box, not for sustainability reasons, but thought outside the box and, and actually decided its future was in mobile communications. And, of course... Uh, had a huge success because of that. I think the changing context in which business is operating uh, this century, uh, because of the issues related to sustainability, represents a huge number of opportunities for companies that are prepared to think a bit differently about what kind of company they are. Now, Paul, you very much argued from the point of view of the philosopher, if you like, and and individual happiness, and and then linking that to shareholder value, that, that actually profit doesn't necessarily bring more happiness in your public or or business life. Yes, I think the point I was making is is, is that when you look at what's important to people, uh, it's not necessarily always the things that um, business think are important to people. Um, Well-being and uh, health and work-life balance are increasingly important to people. And I think that the challenge for society is finding models that enable people to grow and have a real sense of well-being within the limits of what natural resources can provide. Uh, and so perhaps there's, there's an argument for looking at growth through a very different lens, looking at it maybe under the heading of progress, 
but actually beginning to measure some of the important things that are important to people. John F. Kennedy said many, many years ago, uh, GMP measures everything, in short, that which makes life worthwhile. And I think he has a really good point there. And you had a point about £25,000 a year, or that people don't get happier over a certain income, although they seem to spend all their life striving for higher income and acquiring things. Yeah, I think it, 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 the point, that, again, I was making there is that there is, there is a, a cut-off point uh, that research has shown that beyond which uh, the correlation between happiness and wealth begins to decouple. You get wealthier, but you don't necessarily get happier. And I think we need to learn something from that uh, and perhaps begin to uh, develop a society that uh, values things which uh, aren't necessarily the materialistic wealth that we've been grown up We've grown up in a, in a world believing that that is what success is. And, and the huge problem in all of this is with the growth of population, with potentially 9 billion people by 2050, we cannot support 9 billion people having plasma screens and living in five-bedroom homes and driving two cars. And that, um, Douglas, was very much about the sustainability agenda, you know, whether it's Obama or, or David Cameron or whatever political leader saying that, that, you know, we've got to cut our carbon emissions. And you linked that, didn't you, to, to business sort of having materials and, and output, what it uses to make things and how it uses it. Yes, I mean, you, you can look at a business, you can look at an economy either, either as something that's passing money and jobs around or you can look at it as something that, that is pulling material and energy out of the ground and making use of it and then putting it back in either useful forms or, or unuseful forms. And that's, that, that's what seems to be changing at the moment is recognizing that we do want to meet human needs, but we need to find ways of doing that uh, that use less material, less energy, and close the cycles, as people would say, on those flows. Do you think the problems of sustainable business are solvable in, in terms of global societies? Do you think that we will globally see a common interest? Well, there, there, there are two answers to that. I mean, one, one has to do with whether I think it's going to be global or I think it's going to be national. And there I would say that it, it probably is going to be global simply because our material and energy is increasingly flowing around the world, so it requires a, a, a global solution. Now, whether within each country every particular organization is going to be moving forward you know, equally rapidly, I, I would guess probably not, and therefore you will have po pockets of really interesting innovation going on, other pockets that simply aren't moving very rapidly. And you did say you were optimistic about Copenhagen, whereas we can say that others didn't share that optimism. I, I do tend to be optimistic. I mean, that's, that's, that's partially me. That's partially being American. That's partially coming out of an engineering university where every problem is seen as a, a really interesting example of a way to find solutions. But I, I saw a lot coming out of Copenhagen that, that was quite promising. Whether it will meet up to that promise is a, another story. Now, Paul, you did talk about shareholder value and, and questioning, really, the fact that companies work to that principle in terms of it being probably the major goal when perhaps we need to broaden those goals. Yes, I think, uh, again, the point I was, uh, was drawing out there was that um, the, the, the model we have at the moment drives businesses to increasingly uh, produce greater value for shareholders. And, and, and that is, 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 is the current model, and that creates, though, tensions with some of the system pressures that we've got because we're pushing for constant growth. Now, there's no simple solution to this, uh, but in looking at the models of the future, in looking at the way that business and society will need to develop, we need to look at growth through a very different lens. 
Progress is absolutely what we should be doing, and we've got many billions of people living in abject poverty, and progress is what we need, but historical growth may not be the solution to the progress that we need. Craig, you mentioned Nokia, uh, and you also uh, mentioned in your presentation Walmart, the fact that actually we have case studies where companies are changing and and they're leading uh, from the top down to tell uh, consumers, well, you know, we're not going to sell this because it's not good for the environment. Yes, I mean, I think there are are many stories from the business world at the moment uh, that enable us to be optimistic about the future. The problem is at the moment is with many of these companies, we see them doing well in one area and addressing sustainability challenges in one part of the business, but not across the whole business in which they need to. So Walmart is the example that it is doing some interesting and uh, progressive things about trying to decarbonise its operations. Uh, but to my mind, it hasn't yet even begun to address some of the unsustainable nature of its fundamental business model. So those are the challenges we really see here. But overall, you know, I am an optimist. Uh, I, d- I think actually many people working in the field of sustainability are optimists. I mean, to be frank, they have to be, otherwise they, they, they couldn't stand it all the time. Um, and I think it's actually inevitable that we will have these big changes happen. It's inevitable the human race will have to work out how to live within environmental limits because actually what's the other option the frustrating thing for me therefore is if it is inevitable let's just get on with it let's stop taking so long to do it and let's move faster to that point where we really understand how we can live uh, on one planet rather than three well just finally then business as usual for business Really, it is time for a change. I think you all agreed as panellists that actually some of you agree it's time for a change and some of you agreed it's time for a radical change. Craig, a radical change needed? It will be absolutely a radical change. There are so many good, hard business reasons why business needs to change radically. Uh, But if business doesn't realise that, society will make business change radically anyway. Paul? I think... It is, I agree, inevitably we have a radical change on our hands because of the system pressures that we've got, because of government regulation and legislation, which is driving us rapidly to a low-carbon economy. That creates massive opportunities for business, massive risks for business, and therefore business is going to have to change in order to embrace those. And, uh, Douglas, radical change on the agenda as an engineer, you can do that. Yeah. <laughs> Radical change in people's intellectual capacity to do better the things that we've always done in the, in the business world. Uh, Craig Bennett, uh, Dr. Douglas Crawford-Brown, Mr. Paul Turner, thank you very much indeed for talking to the Cambridge Judge Business School podcast series today. There's no business case for business as usual. I think you're all agreed. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.